Good morning, New Life. I'm excited to be bringing the message to you this morning. Um, we miss you like crazy. Uh, I'm hoping that we're, we're somewhere near uh, getting back to our normal routine to where we can actually be together um, and actually have service and, and have that community again. Because um, I know Scott and me are just, we're, we're dying to see you guys again. Um, and, you know, personally getting a little stir crazy. Um, so we're, we're excited. We're, we're, we're pumped up to see you guys soon. Um, but for now, um, we're, we're very, very thankful and, and we're blessed to have uh, the, the ability to come to you guys live and um, to, to put these messages out here. And, you know, God's blessed us with Franklin to be able to, to put such great quality work um, but before you guys. And so we're, we're blessed and, and we're going to keep continuing to, to listen to um, what the government tells us to do, so keeping everybody safe. Um, and, but hopefully we will be back to normal um, as soon as we possibly can, maybe in the next few weeks. Um, but this morning, um, I, I think that there's a, a, a huge um, valuable lesson that can be learned about what we're supposed to do in these moments of isolation. Uh, because it is weird. It's a, it's a strange time to live in. You know, I, None of us have ever lived through something quite like this to where <clears throat> the way church normally operates and the way that we normally function um, has been completely you know, tossed to the side. And so we're all having to get used to this new normal. Um, and, and I think it's, it's best to always look to the scriptures when we feel a little off, when we feel like our world is a little bit different, to see how the people in scripture, the, the ones that went before us, these, these fathers of our faith, dealt with circumstances like this. And fortunately for us, this morning, there is a perfect illustration in the scriptures about how we are supposed to handle these moments where, where life has kind of given us a, a different turn. Um, it's a completely different scenario. Um, and what we're supposed to do in response to that. Um, so we're going to be in the book of Philemon. And this book is super, super short. Um, it is only 25 verses but it's so rich and so full of, of just amazing practical applications for our day. Um, it deals with uh, slavery, um, the, the, the different racial issues there, um, and the different classes um, that would have been going on in this time. So it deals heavily with that. It deals with forgiveness and it deals with restoration. It deals with how to resolve conflict in the church. Um, it, it deals with restoring once broken people back into the fold. So taking somebody that is, has been far away from the church, who, who there's been some issues, and, and how to bring those people back into the fold. And, and those, are just, those are just parts of the things that this book covers. That's just, just scratching the surface. Um, so much deep, rich, practical application in this book. Um, but the part I want to focus on this morning is, is about the author and how this whole book came about. You see, these, these books that you know, we call it the book of Philemon, but it's, it's really a letter, a letter that was sent by Paul, Paul the Apostle. Um, and it was sent to this specific person. His name is Philemon. Um, and I, I believe that the reason that Paul wrote this letter to Philemon can be insanely practical um, for us today and in our world and, and, and what we're experiencing. 
So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive um, heavily into um, the context uh, around this book and, and then to the actual um, letter itself. So Father, God, I, I have no way of knowing who is, is going to hear this message. You know, I have no way of knowing who this, this message is going to impact, but you do. Um, you know exactly what's going on in, in every individual's world. You know the hardships, you know the circumstances, you know the ones that are struggling financially, you know the ones that are struggling with sickness, um, the, the ones that are struggling with anxiety and depression, because if it's one thing that will throw somebody's depression and anxiety into a, a tailspin, is, is your world being completely different. God, I know there's so many people that are watching. I know that those people are out there, God. So I pray that this message would find them where they are. Father, that you would do something amazing through your words. Not mine, not anything that I'm doing, God, but, but your words. God, I pray that, that you would just you would touch the people. God, you would, you would reach into them and, and stir up their affections for you first and foremost. God, and that you would stir up their affections for the gospel and for the lost so that we would not waste this time spent in isolation, this time spent in a, in a, a hard place. That we would take this as an opportunity. Um, just like James says, you know, that we would count it all blessings when we face trials of varying kind. God, and that we would grow and we would learn from this. And that your gospel, the, the gospel that, that, that every person on this planet needs would, would move farther into our communities, would move farther into this state, and that we would see lives changed by all of this. You know, at the beginning of the year, we prayed for, for 20 salvations. God, and I believe that you are still capable of, of doing that and, and much, much more. God, and that some of those Maybe, maybe saved during all this. God, so please, work and move this morning. Do what only you can. And we'll give you glory and honor and praise for it. Amen. So this letter, if you look at um, Philemon chapter 1, or it's one big chapter. It's, like I said, it's only 25 verses. Um, it starts out by, by really... Proving who the author is. It says, Paul is the very first word. Um, so we know that this letter was, was penned by the Apostle Paul. And we also see in this um, first verse that it's to Philemon, uh, a brother, a fellow worker. Um, and it, and it's, it's written to this guy who, who has the church at his house. So Philemon was kind of the host home for the church there in um, Colossae. And so um, that's who this letter is for. But we also see in this first verse, it says a prisoner for Christ Jesus. We, we see and we kind of can, once we dig and we study a little bit more, we, we find out that Paul um, is in prison right now. Um, it says he's a prisoner for Christ, but physically... Um, at this time, he is on house arrest in Rome. Um, and while we don't know everything about how that house arrest went, we can gather a lot of information and clues 
from Acts. Because in Acts chapter 28, we see him go into house arrest. Um, and there's some details and some different things that uh, we can find from, from really from chapters 20 to 28 about how Paul got there. And I think it's insanely important that we understand how Paul got there. Um, we know um, that he, he ended up arrested because he was boldly preaching the gospel, and it finally caught up with him. So he's been traveling, he's done missionary journeys, and during this time, he's, he's made a lot of people angry, especially the Jewish people, because what he was teaching went against what they thought to be true. And so he's riled up uh, a lot of, of just enemies through his, his different missionary journeys. Um, and he eventually makes his way to Jerusalem, um, and the, the church leaders there, um, he meets with the church when he gets to um, Jerusalem, um, they let him know that there's a lot of people up in arms about him. Um, they think he's been teaching lies and misleading people, um, uh, especially the Jewish people. That, that, and there have been reports about Paul that he'd been teaching the Jews um, that were among the Gentiles that they were supposed to forsake um, the, the Mosaic law, the, the Old Testament covenant, that he was teaching that that was no longer important. But in reality, what he was teaching was that Jesus had come and fulfilled that Old Testament um, commands, the, the law of Moses, that Jesus had come and fulfilled it, and that Jesus was the one that we're supposed to follow after, and that Jesus was greater than Moses, and that those things that were taught in the Old Testament were just a shadow of the things to come, that there was a new covenant. And so... While he was saying that the Mosaic Law, um, that that old covenant, had, had kind of been, it's different now, but he wasn't outright telling people to completely reject it. But that's what the news was: that he was going completely against their laws, completely against their customs, and this had made a lot of people angry. Um, it was a huge problem, and so to try to offset that a little bit, um, Paul pays for these these guys to go and um, finish their Nazarite vow. Um, there's a whole process you can read about um, at the end of Acts. But this doesn't work. Um, this doesn't calm their anger. Um, and eventually, it gets to a place where Paul is in the middle of just this huge riot. Um, they accuse him of bringing a Gentile into the temple, um, which he didn't. He was just had this Gentile guy that was with him. Um, and just they stir up all these lies and rumors, and essentially the whole city comes against Paul, and they want to kill him. Um, they uh, just are, are wanting to be rid of Paul and all of his influence and all the stuff that he's saying. And so they they go after him, they grab him, and uh, to to make sure that he doesn't get killed in the streets, the the guards notice what's going on is they arrest him. Um, and they bring him in and they question him several times. Um, they put him in chains. They question him. Um, but Paul is a Roman citizen. Um, we, we see that in, in Acts. And, and he lets those guards know that. Um, and immediately, because, if he's a, because he's a Roman citizen, he is supposed to be taken and tried like a Roman citizen. And so they kind of shift gears a little bit. And um, then Paul, um, after he's on trial several times from different people, um, kind of asserts his right and, and appeals to Caesar. 
um, which he could do because he was a Roman citizen. He could go and, and um, let Caesar hear his case. So he, he leaves Jerusalem and is now headed to Rome. Um, and the trip to Rome was a horrible one. It, it was not great. It was not a smooth um, trip. He gets caught up in this, this huge storm. Um, and, and from that storm, he is shipwrecked. Um, and so being shipwrecked is awful by itself. Um, trying to figure out what you're going to do. They're on this island. Um, and to make matters worse, after they're shipwrecked, he's making a fire and a viper comes up and bites him. So now he's been in a storm, shipwrecked, bitten by a snake. Um, but he doesn't die. He didn't die from the poison. And, and Paul uses his situation just like Paul always did. Um, he keeps his cool and he continues sharing the gospel. Um, he uses that to, to, and he goes and he, he heals some people on the island that they're at. Um, and so this whole time, though bad things continue to happen to Paul over and over and over again, he makes the most of them um, every single time. And so they finally reach Rome um, after all that horrible stuff has happened. Um, they reach Rome. And he's not immediately thrown into like a, a jail, um, per se. He's actually put on house arrest, um, which is a, a little bit better. Um, he's permitted to stay in a home that he had to rent, um, and he could have some visitors. Um, but he's still arrested. Um, and, and to kind of draw a, a parallel, house arrest then really isn't all that different than house arrest now. Um, the same kind of concepts apply. Paul would have had limited visitors, um, though we do see in Acts chapter 28 that he is allowed to have um, certain people come at certain times, kind of some bigger audiences so that he can um, teach and he can um, try to defend himself really is what's happening in Acts 28. And some of the Jewish people that came and, and heard Paul um, teach believed, which is amazing, and some of them um, didn't believe. And they went on and um, that just kind of furthered some of the anger they had of Paul. But like I said, he was able to have some people um, but not a lot. He was also um, chained to a guard at all times. Um, so there, there would have been somebody constantly watching him because, because Paul was a serious guy. You know, this was not just some like, low-grade criminal. Like, they, they wanted to watch him because Paul had this reputation for, for inciting riots, and that's definitely not what Rome wanted. Um, so they kept somebody on him at all times, and, and he was really limited in where he, he could go. So he would have to have people help him get food and the supplies that he needed. He had to constantly rely on other people. Um, he would have had limited contact with the churches that he so deeply cared for and loved. Um, so he'd have to have other people help him out in that sense. He'd have to have messengers that would go to those churches and bring back news. And, and he would have to write letters instead of being there in person. And I know this broke Paul's heart. Um, so he, he had to um, rely on, on a lot of other people to do the edifying and the building up um, that he would normally do on his missionary journeys. Um, and part of that, like I said a second ago, he would, he would pin these letters, is, is that during this time of imprisonment, he was, he was in this house arrest situation for two years, and during that two years, he, he pins the letters to the Ephesians, um, he, he pins Philippians, Colossians, and this um, Philemon letter that we're going to look at today. Um, and these letters were taken um, by just people that loved him, people that were with him, people that were communicating with him. 
um, so that his, his ministry would not die. Um, it's very important to Paul to keep things going. Um, and, and we can see from these letters, when you look at them and you really take all those letters and combine them, that he had his close group of people that were with him. Maybe not all the time, but they were close enough to really help him out. Um, and I, I just want to look at some of these guys that uh, were with him. You, you got Luke. And Luke is with Paul um, for a very long time. Uh, he seemed to always be with Paul. Um, and many theologians believe that Luke was not just a disciple, which he was. He was a fantastic man of God. He wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, where we get just a ton of, of New Testament history. But he wasn't just that. They, they believe that he was also Paul's personal physician. Um, many believe that the thorn in Paul's flesh was, was his ailing eyesight, um, and that Paul had physical limitations that he, he, he got as he got older, that he needed somebody with him. And so Luke is, is constantly referred to as my beloved physician. Um, so he had Luke there with him. Um, he had, um, this is a hard word to pronounce, um, Aristarchus. Um, and this guy, if you look at... Um, if you look in Acts 19, we can see little glimpses of him here, and we see it through some of the other um, letters. He, he'd also been with Paul for a while. Um, he, was in Paul, he was with Paul in Ephesus when the big theater riot breaks out. Um, he was one that was drug into the theater by the crowd and had to sustain, you know, he was pretty much beaten um, uh, really badly, um, and he had to stand for the cause of the gospel um, then. And if you look at Acts 19, um, <clears throat> And he had made his way to Rome with Paul. So they were there together. Um, and, and he was one that really spent a lot of time with Paul while he was in Rome. You had Timothy, um, who was, was really, when, you, when, I, when I look at Scripture, I believe that Timothy was probably one of Paul's favorites. Um, he, he's called Paul's son several times, and he seems to be the one that Paul was trying to get to carry on his mission, to kind of be the, the next Paul um, in that line, and um, though he apparently was much weak or much meeker, he was a, he wasn't quite as hostile and in your face as Paul seems to be sometimes in in the scriptures. Um, if you read in Timothy, it talks about it, Paul's telling him to not be ashamed, to be bold. Um, so a lot of terms like that that kind of Timothy may be in a, a more shy um, counterpart of of Paul, but he was definitely one that that Paul really believed in, um, and he would end up having a huge part to play. Um, for the gospel. Then there was Tychicus. Um, he was one of the runners, um, one of the people that, that carried and transported the letters um, that Paul penned. Um, he was crucial in getting what Paul was saying to the churches um, in the surrounding areas. Then you have Epaphras. Um, he was actually the one that started the, the church in uh, Colossae. Um, he was a close friend of Paul, somebody that Paul would have um, personally converted, who spent a lot of time with Paul. Um, and he was here in Rome in prison with Paul. So he was somebody that had started churches, somebody who was a big player um, in, in, this, in Christianity's movement um, and, and its furtherance into the, the different places. Um, then you had Demas, um, who would eventually fall away. It says that he had forsaken the cause of, of Christ and, and, and um, turned to worldly passions um, Epaphroditus, um, he was a huge blessing to Paul. And, and apparently he was one that served so hard, if you read Philippians, he was one that served so hard um, for the cause of Christ that he actually almost died 
in serving Christ, and he was near and dear to Paul. And then last, lastly, <coughs> excuse me, um, there's a man by the name of Onesimus. And this is where our, our story for today, our, our, our application, um, and really what I want to hone in um, starts to come in. This, this man named Onesimus. You see, he was a unique case. He was a little bit different than the rest of them. Because Onesimus was a slave. He was one that had a master, and his master was Philemon, the, the, the man that Paul penned the letter to. Um, we see that Philemon was, like I said earlier, was the man who was in charge of the house church at um, Colossae. Um, and, and something happens. We don't know exactly what happens. We don't know what the, the struggle was, but Onesimus decides to run away. Um, he's, he seems to have stolen some stuff from Philemon and booked it. And, and he was um, an Egyptian guy, and so he's trying to find a place to run and, and hide out and to um, blend in so that he wouldn't be caught and brought back to Philemon because the charges that would go against a slave that, that ran away could be death. I mean, reading some of the historical accounts of what happened to slaves that ran away was just horrific, the way they treated them. And, and while Philemon, being a believer, may not have treated him that way, it was not going to be good for Onesimus if he ever showed his face back in Colossae. And so he decides to, to fit in better. He's going to go to Rome. That's the capital. It's you know, it's, it's full of a bunch of diverse people. So he says, I'm going to go blend in in Rome. Um, he wanted to fit in. Um, there have been great crowds there, and he would definitely have less chance of being caught. Um, but sometime after he gets to Rome, something amazing happens to him. He runs into Paul. And he may have heard about Paul um, as far as, you know, because he was a slave and would have been around the church and he could have heard Paul's name, or, or maybe he didn't, and, and Paul just drew him in through, through the work of the Holy Spirit. But Onesimus runs into Paul, and he hears him speak, and he hears the gospel. And this changes Onesimus' path forever. It, it completely changes Everything about him, which the gospel always does for those who receive it and believe it, it radically changes us. We become a new creation, and that's exactly what happens to Onesimus. <clears throat> we, we see in Philemon also that, that Paul not only converts him, you know, doesn't just lead him to Christ and then send him on his way. No, it, he, he doesn't just convert him, but he begins to disciple him. And he grows in his faith, and he becomes a valuable asset for Paul. He, he calls him his heart in the book of Philemon. And we're, we're going to get to it in just a second. I know this is a lot of, of backstory, but it's so essential for us to understand. Um, <clears throat> because it's a valuable asset to Paul. But we see that there's, there's an issue hanging over Onesimus' head. You see, while he is a changed creation, he's a new creation, he is born again. He's been discipled by Paul and he's doing great work for the ministry. There's one thing that hangs over his head head and that's he's a runaway slave and there's a wrong in his life that needs to be righted there's there's something that has happened in his past that that because of it there's there's almost a ceiling that Onesimus hits and so Paul understanding that and knowing that decides that 
he can't be fully useful for the gospel and for the sake of Christ unless he finishes and goes back and fixes what he's done and confronts his past sins. And so Paul, being the great disciple that he was, he sends Onesimus back to face his biggest fear, to confront his past. And so he sends him back to Colossae. He sends him back to Philemon. But he doesn't just send him there. You know, he, he sends, he sends a, somebody to comfort him on the way and to protect him on the way. He sends Tychicus and he also sends the letter of Philemon to, to, to add in to some extra comfort because he knows the difficult task that Onesimus is up to. Um, and so he does as much as he can to kind of just ease that pain. Um, and he left it to a place where the only thing Onesimus had to do was go. It was to go and confront his past and go and make things right. And of course, once he gets there, Philemon takes his former slave and restores him. And not only forgives him, but he restores him to being a, a brother in Christ. He elevates him to that next passage, that next step and, and actually ends up bringing him into the church. So this man that used to be a slave is now forgiven, is set free, and has now been made a part of the church. And because of the actions of Philemon, when you look at church history, Onesimus goes on and he is a great, great leader for the cause of Christ. He does amazing things. And so this morning, I just want to dive into Philemon. And, and, and really, while all that backstory is, is crazy and it's important, what the most important thing is, is, is for us to look at Paul. Because Paul found himself in a similar situation that we find ourselves in. He was isolated. He was on house arrest, which let's be honest, many of us probably feel like we're a little bit on house arrest um, ourselves. You know, we're, we're stuck inside. We can't go and do the things that we would like to do. We can't go and, 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 and shop like we want to shop. or We can't go and spend time with family like we want to do. Our, our, our movements are very restricted. So a lot of us probably feel like we're also on house arrest. Maybe not as intense as Paul, but there's a lot that we can go and, and we can understand by looking at Paul and how he accomplished what he accomplished. Because Paul took a horrible situation where he could have, he could have wallowed in self-pity. He could have you know, let himself go down a bad road, but he didn't. He kept himself active for the gospel because Paul understood one thing. Our mission and our mandate does not stop just because of our circumstances. You know, our, our mandate never changes to go and make disciples. So I think if we can look at how Paul handled his imprisonment, how Paul handled the hardship that approached him, that, that it really was, was, was difficult for him, we can understand our role and our responsibility during this time. And so I, I think there's just a couple things that Paul does that really set him apart. Um, and I, I just think it's amazing the, the work that Paul was able to do um, through the Holy Spirit in the, in the life of this man. So take your Bible and look. We're, we're going to be in uh, verse 1. Just, just right off the bat, it says, Paul, Philemon verse 1, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. I want to stop here because this is crucial. This is a huge, huge point because 
There's something impressive about what Paul says here. He says, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He didn't say I'm a prisoner of Rome, which is the people that had him physically trapped and and arrested. He didn't say he was a, a prisoner of Rome. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And what he's saying here is massive. He's saying, I'm only in the circumstance that I'm in because Jesus Christ wants me here. You see the difference? He, he's not blaming his circumstance on other people or other situations. He's not looking at his circumstance and going, well, I'm only here because those, those dumb Jewish people put me here. They don't understand. Like he didn't, he didn't wallow in that. He said, I'm only in the situation I'm in because Jesus Christ wants me here. And that's huge. That's huge because he understands that there's no circumstance in his life. There's nothing in his, his whole world that is outside of the will of God. And so by walking into this house arrest, understanding that that Jesus has him here, Paul's not looking at the bad, he's looking for the opportunity because he understands that if God has led him here, then there's obviously work to be done here. And that's huge, that's huge. He says, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Paul didn't look at his circumstance and think, woe is me. He said, let's go do exactly what Christ would have me to do here. His perspective is the only reason he was able to continue to do everything that he did. The next thing we see that Paul made sure of is that the gospel did not stop because of what he was going through. Gospel never stopped. If you look at verse 10, um, and, and in between this is just... Paul thanking Philemon for, for everything that he is, for his faith, and telling him that he's praying for him um, to, to be um, the most effective, to have full knowledge of, of every good thing for the sake of Christ. So there's, there's you know, just a couple of verses in there where he's really just he's, he's complimenting um, Philemon for the person that he is. But, but then we move down, and I'll start in verse 8. It says, Accordingly, though, I'm, I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. So he's saying, I, Paul, I've got the authority. I could command you to do what I'm about to ask you to do, but I'm not going to do that. Verse 9 says, Yet for the love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. So because I love you, because we're brothers, I'd rather just appeal to you on the fact that me and you both are brothers. He said, I appeal to you, verse 10, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you. And to me. So we see here that something happens in Onesimus' life. We, I, I said this earlier that Paul, while he's in prison, shares the gospel to this man. He sees this man who he doesn't know and he shares the gospel with him. Paul understands that the gospel does not stop just because of our circumstances. So he sees this person, he, he makes eye contact with him, he didn't shun him, he didn't, you know not waste his time on him. He, he looked at him and saw him for the person that he was. He saw them for the need that he had. And he took time to share the gospel with him. And Onesimus' life is completely changed forever. Paul never stopped. The next thing we see that he does is, is he made sure that discipleship and edification didn't stop. We look at verse 12. It says, and I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending my very heart. See, this is, this is crucial. And I know that's just one verse, and, and you may say, Tyler, that's a little bit of a stretch, but, but listen, listen. Listen to what's actually happening here. This slave, this former slave, he understands 
everything that could possibly happen to him back at his former master's house. He understands that. He knows that. And this guy gets saved. He becomes a new creation. And I don't know about you, but all the, the, the new Christians that I know are not quite ready to take on these huge leaps of faith where they're ready to, to, to risk life and limb to do what's right for Christ. They're babies in Christ. And so these new Christians wouldn't be able to do this. Onesimus as a new Christian wouldn't have been able to do this. It takes time. It takes effort. And so Paul, even though he is on house arrest, even though his world is, is, is not great right now, he takes time to look at this man and say, I understand that you are a new Christian, but I've got big plans for you. God's got big plans for you. And I'm going to mold you and, and help create in you a, a, a better understanding of, of the call that Christ has on your life. And so they do this. And it could, have taken, it could have taken a year and a half. We don't know exactly the timeline, but somehow Paul gets this man, this former slave who is selfish, who runs away from his master, who is fearful of everything that's going on in his life. He takes him from that man to a man that's willing to go back and confront his past. That's hard. Some of us have been Christians for a long, long time and still are not brave enough to go and confront our past. That is a discipleship issue. And we see from this text, we see from what happens, the account of what happens, that Paul is able to get this brand new Christian through the work of the Holy Spirit, because it's the only way discipleship works, through the work of the Holy Spirit and the, and the, this, the affection and the love that Paul shows him a man's life is changed forever to the point where he is willing to go back and face his greatest fear. Paul understood that house arrest doesn't stop discipleship. And it also doesn't stop edification. See, what had to happen here is Paul had to talk to Onesimus about a past sin. You see, we read elsewhere in Scripture, you know, slaves obey your masters. Live in such a way above reproach and your conduct may give glory and honor to God so that your masters will see Christ. And so it was not okay to just run away and to not face the issues. It was not okay. And so Paul has to call him out for sin in his life. He has to call him out for unresolved issues. And so that, that's also an element of discipleship that, that he loved him enough to, know, to see that there was a step in the way of Onesimus getting to a place where he could really be useful for the gospel. And, and Paul says, I, we have to address this. And I know this might hurt and I know this might stink. And I know that this is not what you want to do in your flesh, but you have to go and fix this. And so Paul understood discipleship and edification could not stop. And so Paul, though his time was, was, was weird and his time was hard, and how he was on house arrest and having to, to rely on everybody, still took the time out to teach and mold this man, to get him to a place where he could be useful for the gospel. And then we see, lastly here, um, that he made sure that ministry didn't stop. So we keep reading verse 13. It says, I would have been glad to keep him with me, in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, 
but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, this is verse 17, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of you owing even your, owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh, refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience. This is a big part. I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. So what Paul is doing here, it's, this is a huge portion of this passage. Paul said, I, I would have loved to cap him. If you look back in verse 13, I would have loved to cap him for my own sake because he is beneficial for me. But I understand there are bigger things going on than my imprisonment and what I want. So I've decided, because it's the right thing to do and for the sake of the ministry and for the sake of everybody involved, that I'm going to send him back to you. I mean, you, you look at verse 12. He says, I'm sending you my, my very heart. So he loved him. He was a very close brother. But Paul understood ministry could not stop. Couldn't stop because of his own selfish desires. It couldn't stop because of what he wanted. He understood that Onesimus had to go. And then he, he begs even further for, for Philemon to take him and, and, and make him more than just a freed or forgiven slave, but to make him a, a brother in everything that they're doing because he understood that Onesimus was beneficial for ministry, that he could do something. He had something to bring to the table. And so Paul let go of something that was super important to him, somebody he loved. And then he made sure that by his letter and by the, the Holy Spirit that resided in Philemon that, that Onesimus would be given a chance to go do ministry at Colossae. And then Paul at the end, verse 21, says, confident of your obedience. He's, I know you're going to do what's right. And I know that even more so, you're going to do more than what I've asked you to do. He knew that this letter and the changed life of Onesimus and the Holy Spirit that resided in Philemon would, would, would make the situation be what it was supposed to be in Christ. He knew that. He knew that Onesimus would be released to do ministry the way Paul had taught him, and that the world would forever be changed. You see, Paul did all these things out of a place of, of, of suffering out of a place of being outside of his norm. But it's because he understood that the mandate that God has given us doesn't stop. He understood that his circumstances didn't dictate his situation and what he was supposed to be doing. That his circumstances didn't change what he was called to do. He made sure that even though he had stopped and he couldn't go, that the gospel didn't. He made sure that discipleship and edification never stopped. He made sure ministry didn't stop. And guys, for us, the same has to be true. I, I understand that we're in weird times. and Some of us feel weird about the way the world is, 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 is playing out before us. I, I understand that. This is, this is weird times for all of us, but we have to make sure that we're doing the same things that Paul did. Because we have to understand that, that this situation... Isn't, isn't somebody else's fault. It's not something that we can blame a bunch of people for. This situation is only happening because God ordained it to. 
God is sovereign. He is in control. The, the coronavirus didn't blow him away or shock him. He understood it. And if you want to go crazy, he, he sent it. He allowed it to be here. So we can't blame the situation for not doing anything because if God ordained it, then it doesn't affect anything that God has asked us to do. It doesn't. Our, you, we can't blame things on people. We can't fight over who said this or what happened here or whose fault it is. We are here because God wants us to be here. We've got to get that in our minds and we have to have that perspective that <clears throat> this is just a different opportunity to go and serve Christ like he would call us, call us to serve. We are all prisoners for Christ Jesus. And no matter what our circumstance, Jesus is still calling us to go. Guys, the gospel cannot stop. And no, you're not seeing as many people as you normally do, but I guarantee you, you're spending a little bit more time with your family. And if I, if I would be honest with myself, I know there's people in my family that are lost, that I'm able to call more, that I'm, that I'm able to, to, to interact with a little bit more. There's still people that I interact with on a daily basis. You know, I'm isolated, but I, I still have to go and live and, and, and do um, the things that keep me and my family alive. The gospel cannot stop. There's still people that God is going to put in your path that desperately need to hear about Jesus Christ. Discipleship and edification can't stop. We have got to continue to stay in community. And we've got the technology to do it. You can, you can video chat now. You can, you can see the people that you love and care about's face. We've got to stay in that community. We've got to continue to edify each other. We've got to continue to call out for sin in those loving relationships that we have. We have to continue to do those things because our call is to go and make disciples of all nations. We've got to continue to do that. Ministry can't stop. We can't live out of our own selfish desires where we don't go and we don't do and we don't try to reach out and help the people around us. Sometimes we're going to have to do things that make us a little bit uncomfortable and don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying go be reckless and, and go start shaking a whole bunch of hands at Walmart. I'm saying for the sake of ministry, you know what needs to be done. Continue to go do those things. You know, I, I applaud Ashley for doing the, the egg drop stuff with, with the kids. I mean, my daughter loved it. We had a great time. That's doing things that continues the ministry. Reaching out and, and, and getting food for, for other people that's continuing the ministry. Sacrificing your time and your effort for things that need to still be done. That's ministry. We can't stop just because the world seems to. The world is in desperate, desperate need of God's people to reach out and further the kingdom. This is an amazing time for the world to see Christ by how we live and by how we treat other people during this time. So I'm not telling you to go and, 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 and not be safe. I'm not saying that, but I am saying this, that God's got us here in this situation. This is our new norm, at least for the next few weeks. What are you doing to further the kingdom where you are? Because guys, it doesn't stop. It never stops. We don't get breaks. We don't get to take time off. There is no vacation from the gospel. 
There's no vacation from making disciples. I, don't, I, I know it's hard and I know it's difficult and we want to rest and we want to relax. And yes, we're supposed to have Sabbaths to, to take and to rest our bodies, but the sake of the kingdom of God is never on pause. We don't see that ever in the life of Jesus. We don't see that ever in the life of Paul and the apostles, the people that, that lived this out. You're not gonna find a biblical reference to, oh, I took a break from the gospel. Everything in our life has to continue the mission, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation. The gospel has to continue. So my challenge for you guys this morning is this. Where have you been slacking? Have you taken a pause from, from, from just Jesus in general? You know, what's your quiet time like? Have you been in the word? Have you been praying? Have you been spending time with the Father and the Savior of the world? Have you, have you been doing that? Or have you been using this time to slack off a little bit. And I'm not saying that any of you are being lazy because me and Olivia talked about this the other night, that we seem like we're busier now than we were beforehand. Without routine, life seems more chaotic and crazy. But that still doesn't give us an excuse. Have we slacked off with our relationship with Christ? Have we slacked off with our relationships with others? And I know that we can't go physically see them, but guys, we are surrounded by an amazing amount of technology. Connect with the people that you love that need you the most. And is there anything that you can be doing ministry-wise to be helping and furthering the kingdom of God? Paul didn't take a break and neither can we. Father, I'm thankful for, for this church. I'm thankful for the nation that we live in. I'm thankful for the people that surround me and my family. I'm thankful for the people that love my daughter well, that love my wife well. I'm, I'm thankful for everything that you have blessed me with. God, but I know that just because we've got nice, friendly people in this church does not mean that we are doing the most that we can for the sake of the gospel. It doesn't mean that I'm doing the most that I can for the sake of the gospel. God, and a lot of times I, I spend my life on autopilot when stuff like this happens. My anxiety gets high, my depression gets high, and I just don't want to do anything. I, I want to sit in a corner and pretend like the world is not falling apart, but that is not what you've called us to do. We are to be the lights. We are supposed to be the beacons in these dark times that draw people to you. We are supposed to weather storms with patience. And we can only do that through your help. God, the, the, our flesh is, is weak, but the Spirit is willing to do these things through us, to give us that patience, to give us that peace, to give us that hope, so that we can live our lives in such a way that people look at us and say, there is something different about that person. God, that we can not see our situation and our circumstance as something that is just this worst horrible thing that we can see this as an opportunity. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But that's the call. That's the call that you give to your saints. That we are to be ready at all times, preaching the gospel in season and out of season. 
God, and that we would be obedient to what you've called us to do, just like Paul was, God. So that's my, that's my prayer, God, that this church, that New Life Baptist Fellowship would be a church that used this time to further the kingdom. God, so give us safety, give us boldness, give us clarity to, to, to be able to see the things that you would have us to see. God, and I, I pray that you would grow your kingdom in Bowling Springs. Father, I love you. I should never pray. Amen. Thank you, New Life. Um, we're, we're praying for you constantly, um, and we cannot wait to see you guys again soon. Thank <laughs> you.